Hey, 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 everybody. My name is Ryan Atkinson, and you are on the Biz Cloud, where we talk tech, marketing, entrepreneurship, and more to give you the insights and stories from today's best founders for tomorrow's best founders. Great episode coming up here with Panos Mutafis of Zenus, the CEO and co-founder. Uh, this is a fun conversation to have. Zenus is a facial analysis platform that uses AI to tell you if, with it, if you're at a trade show or in a retail store, uh, how happy you are around certain products uh, using a facial analysis model. Uh, this is a great conversation. Uh, Panos is able to really dive deep into what goes on behind the back end of like how they're able to scale this thing a little bit more about like how the model works. Um, it's a great conversation to have. He actually comes over from Greece, and at the beginning of the conversation, we talk a little bit more about how his ambition lines up perfectly with like coming over to America, and like we work so hard, and like he's able, to, and he works incredibly hard, uh, working like 16-hour days, which is nuts. Um, so fun episode coming up here. Excited for you guys to listen more about this incredible product. Um, this was a new platform that I've uh, came across, so super excited for you guys to have some takeaways on this as well. So let's dive in. Super excited for this episode, and let's go. Uh, welcome to the show. Super, super excited to have you on today. Hi, Ryan. Uh, I'm happy to be, he- to be here and I look forward to the conversation. I think we're going to touch on very, very cool aspects and topics. <laughs> yes, I'm super excited for it. Um, well, let's kind of go back to like your very beginning uh, years because you were actually born and raised in Athens, Greece. Um, but so now you're doing a business in America. Um, so one question I just have is like, what's the biggest cultural difference that you've experienced from uh, Greece over here in America. So, to give you a little bit more insight uh, about my background that most people don't get, uh, I didn't actually, I wasn't actually born and raised in Athens per se, but it was something like like a suburbs outside of Athens. Cool. It was a very small community, about two thousand people max. <laughs> uh, you can walk from one side to the other in about fifteen minutes. Very very small. We didn't have like proper roads like uh, outside my home for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a in a house that we had ghosts, chickens, and so forth. So it was it was a very very interesting environment to grow up as a kid. And then slowly, as years were going by, I moved closer and closer to Athens. And I was speaking with my mother <laughs> two or three months ago, and she told me, "You know what." You told me the first time you told me that you're going to go to the United States, you were probably six, seven years old. And you said that you're going to go to the United States. And it, I didn't even remember. I didn't even remember. <laughs> but, but the way it happened was uh, I was at, uh, I was, I came across one of my professors in the hallway at uh, my university when I was doing my bachelor's degree in statistics, applied math. And my professor, he said, uh, hey, Panos, I have been keeping my eyes on you. You're doing really well in your, in your academic performance. What are you going to do with your life? And I said, I just want to have a big impact. That's it. I like helping people. I like having a big impact. I want to make a mark. I want to make a dent in the universe. Let's go. That's what I like to do. And he told me, well, then you should go and do research. Because mm. whenever the world society has a very big challenge, mm. we always turn to research and technology for a solution. And I'm sure you, we have seen this with the pandemic, how <laughs> all the pharmaceuticals happen. We're seeing this with the cloud. We're seeing this with everything. And it really resonated with me. 
And if I may elaborate a little bit more, the way I'm thinking about the universe is the following. I could go, for example, go being doctor and save lives and help mm. the well-being of people, which is very, very important, be a practitioner. Or I could, I could invent a new way of treating and preventing heart attacks. And then all of the practitioners can start using that to have a bigger impact. So my mindset, I'm, I'm more geared as a person towards the coming up with new ways, new ah. models. Yeah, so this is what is really driving me. I, I love puzzles. I love solving <laughs> unknown puzzles. And when you put everything together, the best place to have a big impact, to, to move the needle, is the United States of America. Like it is one of the greatest civilizations in many in many aspects. Yeah. Uh, not perfect, but it, it is. And, and that's what drove me here. And by the way, a very interesting thing I have noticed. When I was in Greece, I was complaining quite a bit about Greece. When I came to the US, after a few years, I said, okay, I understand why Greece had these limitations. And right now I'm saying, what does the US has these limitations? So I think the closer you feel to a country, the more you <laughs> complain about it because you care about it more and you understand yeah. uh, and you want things to be better. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So you can actually like identify like, oh, like in Greece, this might've needed a little help. And then when you went like over to the United States, it's like, oh, well, this is actually a little offsite. That's a really cool aspect that you could probably take into like business is that cultural differences and actually apply it to like your leadership style. And going on, on, the, on the cultural aspects, which I think that's the original question. And just, we said, yeah. we'll keep it open and <laughs> uh, the conversation. So uh, I always felt that the cultural fit in the US, it's, it feels better to me as a person because i love working i love working <laughs> most days i will start around 8 30 in the morning my day and i will work until midnight or 1 a.m oh my god and i just love it and, and i hate the fact that i have to go to bed i don't want to have to go to bed because i want to keep doing what i'm doing oh i just love god. it yeah I, I just love it and you know everybody was telling me for years oh you're going to burn yourself out you're going to burn yourself out but when you are enjoying what you are doing, it's fun. Yeah. You don't want to stop. You just don't want to stop. And uh, when it comes to cultural differences, so for me, that felt very, very comfortable in yeah. the environment being. But also, uh, to get more philosophical and more broad outside of technology, what I'm seeing, and, and again, that's only my opinion. I can be very wrong. I'm yeah. wrong many times. No, no, <laughs> and I'm okay no. with that. I'm human. What I'm seeing is that in Europe, you have a little bit more focus on the quality of life, you know, from education, healthcare, uh, vacations, work-life balance, and so forth. In the US, you are a bit more skewed towards the business uh, aspects. And in my opinion, again, my opinion can be wrong, everything I said might be off, but you need the balance. You need to have yeah. both. I don't think it's one or the other. You need a little bit of both because a lot of the drivers of the economy on the technology i'm sorry they are being driven in the united states all the biggest innovations they are happening in the united states and attracts people like that like me but then in europe you also have you need somebody to consume that you need somebody to have the quality of life so you have a bit of both mm -hmm. so that's how i'm thinking about the culture and in our team we have people all over from europe up until california so uh, we are having a very nice blend of all of these different attributes 
I love that. Yeah. One thing I was fortunate enough to go overseas in May or so, and I was over in Switzerland and I was just blown away at like, like the work-life balance there. Like everyone's just taking their time. Like everyone's just enjoying like a cigarette outside. Um, and I told someone that I was like, Oh my God, people are so laid back here. And they're like, Oh, like really? Like, I feel like Geneva, I was in Geneva. I yeah. feel like Geneva is like one of like the most like go, go, go like European countries <laughs> from America where it's like, oh my gosh. Um, but I want to talk about your ambition. Um, mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us, I mean, what are you working on when you're waking up at 8 a.m. and working till uh, midnight, essentially? I mean, what's the project that you're working on? Uh, tell us a little bit more about Zenith. So if I describe it in three words, these words would be ethical facial analysis. Oh, so Which, cool. by the way, it's a little bit different than face recognition because the way we are using the technology, we do not identify people. We do not extract unique IDs. But instead, what we do, we can look at a you know, brick and mortar location, for example, a business event, an airport, and so forth. But we have diplomats in all of these places. Yeah. And then we can see, okay, how many people did we see passing by? How many of them stopped and paid attention? Were they mostly men? Were they women? Were they young? Were they old? Did they, were they, did they have a positive experience and not so positive experience? How long? Did, so you're getting all of these insights in understanding consumer behavior, and you're doing it in a way without ever being able to go back and identify the individual person. So the ethical component comes from our continued effort to do things the right way. And what is the right way and what is ethical? It's a very, very big discussion that yeah. we can go on and on. And we change the way we're seeing our views. We, we, we constantly change the way we do things. But there are some fundamentals that we protect people's privacy. That, that's the first thing that you cannot track an individual without their consent. There has to be easy opt-in, opt-out, and so forth. If you cannot do that, don't use any identifiable information at all. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, the way we're training our models, the way we're deploying our models, we're focusing on, on applications where if you misclassify somebody, nothing bad is going to happen. So mm -hmm. let's say, let's say we have a statistic that one experience, 80% women like it versus 20% men. Well, if you're 75 versus like 25 or anything like that, uh, it will not have a very big difference. So small, small misclassifications will not have an impact a significant impact on people's lives in a negative way, at least. And the last, the last portion, we're always focusing on groups. So we usually say we need to have at least 50 faces analyzed to start being able to have some insights. There's a lot of things that happen, you know, how long you're tracking uh, the group of people or how much volume you have. There's a trade-off between the two. But on average, you need to have a large statistical sample. That's so cool. So let's like, if, so just kind of like interpret this, let's say like we put it into like a Nike store, um, yes. the Nike store. Oh, very good example, by the way, very good example, by the way. Yes. Uh, so uh, like uh, if, if Nike, <laughs> let's just say if Nike deploys this in their stores, they're going to be able to say that they wouldn't know me, but they would say this person right here, they spent X amount of minutes looking at this men's section and their facial analysis showed like, 92% happy. I saw that on your guys' website. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. How, like, how does the model just know that? Like I, when I saw that, I was like, how does it know I'm 92% happy? Like, what are some of the things it looks for? Perfect. Perfect. I, I love this. I love this question. Um, let me start from a use case first, because yeah. you mentioned a name that 
uh, we're starting to understand better and better. And, and retail, <laughs> and, and retail, <laughs> retail is, is a very, very big market. So I, I will use hypotheticals, but these are actual discussions we have been having with lots of brands. So let's say again, hypothetical, you are Nike. Yep. And you have a new a new uh, series, you know, a, a new season. So you have new types of shoes for men, women, this and that. When you are going to do a campaign with digital marketing, within one week, you know how many people have seen it, what it yep. costs for people to see it, how many of them engaged, like commented, clicked, and so forth, mm-hmm. how many of them purchased, the demographic background. So you have the complete, complete persona Yep. of the individuals engaging with the brand. And then you're able within one to two weeks, you use the data, you can predict the sales for the entire season. Yep. So you know exactly where you stand and then you, you districts down in so many different ways. That's the first big benefit. And you don't have this in brick and mortar locations. Mm-hmm. You don't. At best, brands have sales and maybe, maybe some counts on the number of people. That's yeah. it. Everything else is surveys that we all know that even though they, they are useful, they have qualitative input, but not everybody responds. There's a sampling bias, which is very, very prominent. Yeah. You know, there's this, this graphic that says, we did a survey and 97% of the people who responded said they love responding to surveys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is a sampling bias because everybody who responds, they love responding. So, uh, yeah. So you have this big gap in consumer insights, very, very big gap. And this is in airports, retail stores, events, any experience that you can see. The, the, second, the second level is, and the challenge you have is that, okay, somebody walked into the store. A salesperson will have to go understand what these people usually likes, what the information they want, and start guiding them through the process. Yep. But if you change your products, you have to keep retraining the staff. You mm-hmm. have to them and so forth. If you think about the digital advertising, the system will learn what people usually like and we can start proportionally so this content a little bit more frequent than the others to make it more relevant. Now, what we can do inside the store and I hope this will blow your mind a little bit more, is that <laughs> you can connect our devices, and I will talk about our devices later, but you can connect our devices to any TV monitor, computer monitor, projector, display, whatever. Yeah. And then the algorithm will detect the person in front of the display and will change the content to show you inside the store the advertisement, the product that it will be the best fit for you automatically in real time. Oh, wow. So they're going to be able to know in real time, like what people like want to see, or am I interpreting that right? So, so right now the current implementation, you set some rules and you say, you know, if you, if you have a male person between 20 and 30, 20 and 40, so then product A, if you have oh. a female person and like that. But the way we are building it is we're going to tap into the POS system and then we will see what works with what kind of demographic groups. And then we, you can adjust the content on its own, on its own, dynamically to optimize uh, what people usually are more likely to like. Oh my gosh! So is this being? So is that like some of like your guys's biggest? Um, is that where this is being implemented most? Is in like retail or like what are some of the like the industries that are adapting this? Because I feel like this could be implemented a wide cross. But like my first mind That's is just right. like retail makes the most sense. Um, so what we, are- we, we 
we we're seeing a lot of traction in business events like trade shows, conferences, and so forth. Ah. Because if you think about it, you have a big room of people. You you paid speakers to come and talk to your to, to your like 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 here. Yeah, yeah. Is it a good performance? Did people like it? Did people not like it? Why? Which parts? Which which things? And we can go down to the level that we can tell you, you know, when when we have topics about this, people have a good response. When there's a topic about this, people don't have a good response. Ah. If you have a male speaker of this age group, it resonates well with these groups of people in the audience. A anything you want to know about optimizing the performance of your sessions, we can do it. That's one. The second, when you have a booth and you go in your exhibit, and many yeah. companies they might spend a hundred, five hundred, or a million bucks on a booth, uh, you're going to be able to measure the performance. And right now, most of the event marketing managers they have only one metric, number of leads captured. Yep. But number of leads captured, it doesn't give you the full picture. You need to know how many people walked in front of the booth. Mm -hmm. What percentage of them stopped? And by the way, we have seen that for every 1% increase in stop rate, you get 5% more leads. Oh, wow. That's yes. a good stat. That's a really good stat. <laughs> and let, let me explain how this works and why this works. Because it, it, we were surprised when we saw in the data so we have done lots of pilots and then we 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 write to the right metrics and everything else so let's say you're capturing 100 leads okay yep. and then you have 1000 people walking in front of the booth if you increase the stop rate by 1% that means 10 more people are going to stop in front of the booth if five of them walk in and you capture them you went from 100 leads to 105 5% increase so 1% change in making people stop in front of the booth you get 5% more leads and if you don't know how to measure it to understand the booth design, the attractions, and what makes people stop and look, you will always be focusing on gut feeling. And we know from many, many studies that gut feeling is useful, but it's not everything. You do yep. need some data, some information, and you, if you combine the two, you get most of that. Then it goes beyond that. Uh, we are tracking things such as the booth size, the, the traffic, the leads captured, the staff performance, all of that, and we give you a score that you know next year or, or the next show, can I get a bigger booth? So you get a smaller booth, yep. so change the layout. You know you have the full picture and last but not least, because we can analyze facial expressions to assess satisfaction and happiness, you want leads that convert. You want people coming and remembering their experience. And that's a lot of, of, of what we do. Yeah, that's really interesting because the company that I work for, we do events a lot um, and we get leads from there. Um, but this is actually really applicable. I feel like in some sort of sense, you could say, oh, if this person was over 75% happy, they were whatever, like 75% more likely to actually go through with a demo compared to someone that they talked to you, but they were 20% happy. Um, and you just know that they're not going to reach out. So you can allocate your time more to people that are uh, actually interested in going for a demo in the events industry and yeah. we're only doing this in the events industry we are developing the ability of scanning badges mm -hmm. i cannot say how or what uh, publicly but yeah. we have the ability of doing identity tracking on the individual level if people consent mm -hmm. so when you register you can consent yes opt-in opt-out yeah. so if people opt in and then we can do the identity tracking the entire journey of every person and like, <laughs> like, 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 like you said, right now, come on, they spend insane amounts of money and they do it with RFID, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. 
And even though it works, it has certain limitations, very expensive, hard to deploy. Uh, it's very hard to do the opt-out and so forth. So we can do that in a much, much better way when combined yeah. with the experience of the facial expressions. Then you get to intent data. Yes. And then what you can do, you can prioritize the pipeline accordingly. And then you can say, you know, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, he really, really liked this one thing. Let's yeah. talk to him about what he liked. <laughs> just sending generic newsletters oh, or stuff. <laughs> that's that's like crazy to me because that's like a real like application that obviously we're seeing it actually being deployed, but that's just a mind-blowing thing where it's like, well, this person was happier during this part of the conversation. Um they so when we, longer, they came back twice. You know what? They definitely like it. Oh my gosh. Let's that's, make sure that they forget yeah. <laughs> I think that's a real one aspect um, that you talked about a little bit earlier that like this is not facial recognition. This is facial an analysis. Was that the word that you that's used? Right. That's right. Yes. And I think mentally, just for like my own like psychological reasoning, um, that sounds better. Facial recognition. I hear facial recognition now. I'm like, that is like a negative tone to it. But facial analysis um, is different. Um, was that that was intentional by your guys's part because you're not recognizing exactly you're right. analyzing uh, their facial expressions exactly right and we used to do the face recognition in the past and we had done it mm. in a way that is very secure it protects privacy to a great extent yep. it was such a beautiful implementation <laughs> but what we realized was that when you're trying to market it having to educate the market and say yeah i know what you're hearing but this is not the case for everyone it becomes a very hard very, very hard thing to do. And uh, one of the things that I had to learn the, the hard way, and they, this is when things changed quite a bit for us, and excuse my language, was when I put my head out of my own ass and just realized that what I think to be right, what I know factually to be right, doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter. What matters is what the market thinks. That's good. Period. <laughs> Period. If, if the market thinks something, it's almost impossible to change it on your own. It has to come organically. Mm. So we knew that people wanted the technology. We knew that they were afraid for it. So we found multiple ways of addressing it. But for us, it goes beyond beyond the, oh, we don't extract biometric identifiers to distinguish individuals. It's way, way deeper than that. And let me explain. So when we started deploying computer vision technologies, in you know physical spaces in, yeah. in real life, uh, we, we came across a few different challenges. The first challenge was bandwidth. If mm. you're transmitting video to the cloud, you need a lot of bandwidth, especially if you use 4K cameras to get the details in people's faces. Yeah. Oof, we were talking about hundreds <laughs> of gigabytes per day potentially <laughs> per camera. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. Yeah. Then processing 4K video on the cloud, constantly, it's, you can just go and type, you know, AWS, Azure, pricing for GPU. It's, it's pretty expensive, orchestrating everything, not losing data. Uh, it, it is an engineering problem, which is substantial. Yeah. It's not unsolvable, but it's substantial. And what it does, it increases the cost to a level that it doesn't make the technology marketable. Mm. You use this approach. If you have the bandwidth issue, and then you have also on top of that, the cost, it's very hard to make it marketable. I don't know if you know the book, Crossing, Crossing the Chasm, but it says I'm in the introduction. Sorry. Go ahead. I literally just read that book, yeah. 
<laughs> you have to read it, the new version because I've read it like three times already. All right. It, it says, it, it says, you know, everybody knows that electrical vehicles are better. The question is, when are you going to buy one? And the question, the answer is, when the price drops to a level that is competitive with uh, gasoline-based uh, cars. And it's the same thing for this kind of technology. So the bandwidth and the cost make it unmarketable for the broad market. For the broad mm. market. The third part is privacy and security. So let's say that you have as much bandwidth as you want. And you use, uh, I don't know, uh, you have a lot of uh, big budgeting, you don't care about money, or you deploy local servers or, or on-site, whatever. Well, the next thing is the privacy and security. When you are transmitting video from premises mm -hmm. somewhere else, you are transmitting people's faces, which, which are identifiable. Mm. So when you're doing video, you are storing and transmitting personally identifiable information. Ah. And there are so many restrictions, no-nos, front upon, you can use all, all the adjectives, anything you want. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Yeah, that's what I was so, actually gonna oh, go ahead. Oh, please, please. No, that's what I was gonna well, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask actually next, but that sounds like the crossroad. I was like, could this be a software solution where Zoom plugs this in and when there's an online event, they're able to know, oh, this person was really happy because their camera's on and you're just able to easily detect it. But that sounds like because of that reasoning, it's not possible or, or is it? So if you do it on an individual level, we would yeah. strongly, strongly suggest getting consent from every individual. And this is when it can get tricky if you do it on yeah. Zoom. If you do it in a group setting where the individual is never recognized, it's much, much easier to do. Mm. Uh, so what we did to address this excuse me, each of these challenges, we we, we work with NVIDIA and we're using some of the chips. So this is an embedded device that has hundreds of GPU cores into it. So I'm holding, if somebody's listening, just the, the, the sound, it's the size of an Apple TV. It's a very, very small device. Uh, and what it does, you connect the power to it, you connect any camera, a laptop, web mm -hmm. camera, security camera, anything you want, and then we are processing all the footage locally. Oh. So what the camera is seeing, it's being analyzed in real time without ever being stored or transmitted anywhere. Ah. So video is never stored or transmitted anywhere. Everything is analyzed on the fly. Mm. This means our bandwidth requirements, they're as low as maybe one megabyte per hour. Wow. It's nothing. It's nothing. The cost allows us to scale in virtually any application you can think of, because the device is sending data to the to the database, and that's it. You don't have compute instances that have to constantly run and compute things. And then for the privacy and security, you don't have to worry at all about this because everything is aggregated on the device. And in fact, the way we are reporting the statistics. Uh, we don't report the exact things that the camera is seeing, but we're doing like something like a subsampling and upsampling. So we, we do the percentages, you know, and demographics yeah. and stuff and so forth. So that's how this thing works. Nice. I love it. Um, and unexpectedly, we're like kind of running down on time. That flew by just like the water. Like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I kind of want to get back to um, the, a little bit more of the future, like what you have planned here. So like, Within the next three years, I mean, what would have to happen for you to like look back on this and be like, wow, that was like 
a really successful three years. Uh, what do you have in mind there? We want to be everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. And, and the way we see this product, and that's something that uh, some people might not always uh, grasp or pick up on immediately yeah. is the following. Our device is essentially, it's like building a new cloud. Yeah. So what, what, what are you, you're seeing with the cloud? We're building the, the, the next thing. And our devices, our IoT devices, we have full control of them remotely. Mm-hmm. You know, when the device is online, when it's offline, when it's working, it's temperature, it's CPU usage, it's memory, everything. We can update the operating system remotely. We can lock it. We can update the code. So, and by the way, we have done a lot of work. So when we do an update, yeah, we look at the differences between the code version A versus version B, and we just download the difference. So they are very, very light and quick and easy to deploy. Um, but essentially what this means is we can deploy any type of AI model we want remotely. We click a button, oh, literally cool. a button, and the devices update the latest version. So right now we're doing facial analysis, but if we want to do body posture recognition, weapon detection, voice analysis, anything like that you want to do, oh, you can do that remotely. It has Bluetooth capabilities, so you want to combine it with an app and do even greater personalization that some can just, again, remote update, it works. You can connect with the device, things such as lights, you can control lights, sense, uh, content. So we're seeing it more like a platform when we're looking at it as a single product. And the last thing uh, we have done on the project, and this happened in the last two to three months, and when I said earlier that I don't sleep and I keep working these hours, is because <laughs> I'm the kind of person that if something bugs me, I, I have to find a way yeah. to, to address it. I, I, I just love, I just love this thing. We we found a way that you know the device writes writes to the database, and then we're doing transformations so forth. And then on top of that, we can build a custom reporting system start to finish in about, right now we have done, gone down to two weeks. When wow. we sell to clients, we say five weeks, but right now we're, we, we can really do it in two weeks. And this means like, if you have a specific use case in mind and you have specific metrics, we can do that. We can do that in about two weeks and you have a custom solution. And this is very, very important because initially we were assuming that the enterprises, they want the data and then they will have their own data analysis, analysts, they will have their own uh, insights and so forth. But the reality is that when you start working with a company, especially in the early stages of the account, nobody wants to have to pull in resources from other projects, get the marketing get yeah. so forth. They want a solution that's ready to use. And by doing that, we can give them a solution that is easy to use very quickly, reliably, very low code, low, uh, almost no technical debt. Like it, <coughs> it, it is a very, very, very beautiful architecture. And is uh, it really adds to the speed and the vision of being everywhere. So yes. uh, we do think we're going to be a multi-billion-dollar company. Uh, why not even more? Let's go. And <laughs> yes, that, that that's how we're building it. We we just raised uh, a big, a good chunk of a VC round to close our seed, and uh, next year we're looking to do uh, another round follow-on based on uh, hitting our milestones. So far, we have been hitting things quite on track yeah. we will keep working <laughs> lots of work uh by the way it's we, we have a team that is really really like uh, top notch 
yeah you cannot you can like i i, I could I could be working like 24 hours per day in sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wouldn't be enough it wouldn't be enough unless you have a team and we have done a lot of work on the culture we have done a lot of work on, on our company culture and we continue doing that uh people are working with us and i, I might be biased so uh, but <laughs> that's okay, my that's feeling, okay. <laughs> but my feeling is that People that work with us, they enjoy, really enjoy what they do. They enjoy what we're doing. They feel good about it. That's they feel good. proud of it. Uh, they feel understanding. And, you know, we had a couple of team members that left, but even with them, we have like very good relationships, uh, rooting for them. Uh, if you ask me uh, what uh, what I feel is going to be professional success is when people that work with us, they go and do even bigger things, do, do even awesome. greater things. So for me, that's how I measure success. If you if you work with someone and then they go and they build even bigger things, greater things, that's how you know you're successful. That is a phenomenal quote. Uh, that is really <laughs> good. And I think it's really cool that you guys are going to make this leap into, you have faces, but soon it's going to be voice and body language. Um, that will be a really exciting concept. And I think we'll have to actually get you back on the podcast for that because uh, we are out of time. Um, but last question, uh, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Learn a little bit more about you. Um, please do plug any social links, websites, um, and then go at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they can go to our website. Uh, which is zenus.ai, Z-E-N-U-S dot A-I. But also they can just go and ping me, ping me on LinkedIn. Uh, it, it is getting to the point that it is very hard for me to respond to all the messages right now, but <laughs> I, I am trying my best. So if if I don't respond to something, try them again. And uh, yeah, just, I, I used to be the kind of person that I was responding to every single message always, but but right now it's very hard to do, to, to keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that's actually, I met you was through LinkedIn. So definitely exactly, do. Yes. Gotta send a nice message though. But um, panels, <laughs> thank you so much for joining on everyone. Those links will be down below. Thank you seriously so, so much for joining. This was a really fun conversation. The future is bright. Facial analysis is sick. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation and we'll be in touch. Welcome to Austin also. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Let me...